the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. Today's going to be a little bit different. It's the last Sunday of the month. We haven't done one of these in a while, so it's going to be a bit of a press Sunday, which means it's going to be like a really short, hopefully a really short, compact talk. I don't have a lot that I want to say. So if you want to open your Bible to Psalm 102, we are going to read together. This Psalm, man, you know, I'm not really a big lover of the Psalms. I never have been, but... I was at a conference recently and someone said that Jesus quoted the Psalms more than any other book of the Bible. So I thought, oh, you know what? I better start reading it. So I've been reading it a bit more than normal. I read it every day in the morning when I'm at work, when I get in early. And this Psalm is one that really stuck out for me. And there's only one verse I really want to talk about, but we'll read pretty much the whole thing anyway. Psalm, so the weird thing is as well, where it says like verse one, um, often you see the title and the heading bit in the Bible describing the Psalm. But actually, that's also scripture. But so often with like the English Bible, for some reason, it doesn't start as verse one. So I've been switching between like an English Bible and a Hebrew Bible and the verses were all wrong. I'm like, why are these all wrong? I'm so confused. And then I realized they actually, the introduction, the summary, they deem to be scripture as well. It's not like some guy in the East End of London um, translating a part of the Bible has added this brief summary. That was the writer. He put that there. It's a synopsis that was originally there. So that is also scripture. So it says, a prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Here we go. Then we go with the psalm. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. If you've ever seen any of those um, adverts for like disasters online where they're raising money and you see those kids and you literally, that's what it's talking about here. Like my bones cling to my flesh. It's a really disturbing picture. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day, my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse, for I will eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will rise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion, he appears in his glory, he regards the prayer of the destitute, and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that the people may be yet to be created may praise God. That he 
looked down from his holy height, from heaven and looked at the earth, to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord, and in Jerusalem his praise, when people gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. Okay, I want to stop there. I want to stop there for a moment. So really, there's only one verse in the whole psalm that I really am I'm focusing on today, but you kind of have to read a lot more of the context to kind of get a picture of it. It's verse 17 in the English translation, in the Hebrew translation, 18, mad confusing. Um, he regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. So there's a word that gets used in this psalm that is unique to the entire Bible. It's never used anywhere else. Anywhere. <laughs> it's one of the most rarely used Hebrew words and I can't even say it like I could I, in English there's a few like pronunciation things across the top but it's like A-R A-R with like a, a space between them and a few little dinks here and there um, it's like Awar Awar or something like that I, I can't say it I've been trying to say it all week I was like you know those things where you press play and then you hear that one I almost felt like I had to be like I don't know, maybe Stephen Hawkins is the only guy who could say it if he was still with us, because it was like, it was weird. It was this weird pronunciation. And um, it's the word that we read in the ESV as destitute. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. He regards the prayer of the destitute, but actually it doesn't really mean destitute at all. It means more like desolate. So it's more like desolate, alone, isolated, uh, and it's, it's, it's so close, it's just slightly written, like a slight few little marks, slightly different in Hebrew to another word, which actually is like a, is a, is it like a desert plant. This isn't a desert plant, but you know what, hey, Morrisons don't do desert plants. So, you know, we were limited in our selection uh, today, but it's like, a, it's like a desert bush. So the writer, and what you have to understand about like the Psalms is, is there's, they appreciated a different type of artistry than we do today. So, I mean, most forms of like rap is terrible. It's the lowest common denominator. Yep, sometimes they rhyme, sometimes there's some intelligent behind it, but, but often there isn't like the layers of the imagery that you can look at it from so many different angles and, and get so many different things. But actually, as we dig into this one single verse with the context of what he's written around it, you start to realize that he does some wordplay, which you and I, reading this in English, just don't appreciate. So when he says awar, there's another word so close. I mean, like if you heard someone say it, you'd almost not be able to differentiate between the two words, though they are two different words. And one would mean like a bush in the desert and the other one would mean destitute. So he choose, destitute or desolate. So he chooses a word that sounds so similar that you can't quite make out which of the two he says. It's written, so when it's written, it's okay. You can see what he's talking about and he's talking about desolate, but he's using a word that's never used because it's so, it's so close and so, so kind of clumsy, I guess, in one sense or another. And I started to read the passage and read around it and I started to be really kind of like hooked on this because all my life in church, I've heard people say to me like, the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. I heard that all the time as a kid growing up. So it's kind of like, you best be righteous because your prayer ain't, a, ain't availing anything. You know what I mean? Especially someone like me. There's a lot of good people out there that maybe they can pray and go like, man, I feel righteous right now. I'm going to pray something. I'm going to achieve something. But when you're me, you're kind of like, well, that rules me out of prayer. 
So maybe other people can like get up to the plate and hit a home run. But for me, I felt kind of screwed. And as I was reading this this week, it was like, he regards the prayer of the desolate and does not despise their prayer. But actually it says he regards. But in the Hebrew translation I was reading by uh, a guy called Robert Alter, um, who is a G by the way, he's the only person who has ever translated the entire Hebrew Bible into English on his own and the only person to also write his entire own commentary on the entire translation. No one has ever achieved that in human history. This guy's a legend. And, and he says, he turned, he turns to, he turns to those who pray that are desolate. He turns to them. And when I looked at his translation and I, I moved away from the translation I normally trust on this, I started to realize actually a picture that was being painted by the psalmist. He paints this picture that's so bleak. He talks about flesh clinging to the bone like you see in those disturbing humanitarian adverts. He's talking about this brokenness of the individual, but then he moves to the bigger picture of Zion, this idea that God had a people, that God had a plan for them and he was blessing them. And he writes this psalm in the framework of the darkest time in their history known to date the Babylonian dispersion and what he's doing is he's painting a picture where he's going like you may be suffering you may be having a hard time I just want to let you know something we've been here before we've been here before and he 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 paints a picture that is so interesting he says that God looked down from his holy height and it says the heaven the look from the heaven the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the captives, to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord. And when he says this, the imagery that he invokes is he invokes the Exodus story. He's invoking pictures of Exodus, the slavery, a people doomed to die in Egypt, a people broken to be wiped out through genocide, through the killing of all the baby boys so that only the girls would then breed with the Egyptians and the Hebrew people wouldn't exist anymore that they were doomed to die. And as they're in Babylon, they're being spread out. Their culture's being taken away from them. Their identity's being taken away from them. And they're there, and it feels like their bone is clinging to their flesh. It feels like burning. It feels like everything in their life is so destitute, is so desolate. And then what he says is he says that God looks down from heaven on the earth to hear the groans of the captives. And in the Exodus story, in Exodus, before Exodus chapter 3, the end of chapter 2, it ends with saying the people were crying out to God because they're suffering the taskmasters. They were groaning. He was hearing their groans, the prayers of their hurt, of their pain, of their suffering. And as I started to look at this psalm, I started to realize in a new moment in human history, he's saying that things haven't changed, that God is still here, that God is still suffering. They didn't know that he heard them when they were suffering and dying in Egypt, but he heard them. And the thing that he says is he turns towards the prayer of the desolate. He turns towards the prayer of the, of the bush alone in the desert. And I started to realize something that this psalmist was giving us a very unique perspective because in the Exodus story, the people cry out because they're groaning. But then Moses is the one walking past a bush that's on fire that's being burned, that's being consumed. And in this passage, it talks about the, the bones were burning like charred, burned remains. And this psalmist is kind of saying, actually, he's painting a different picture, not just to the one of the human response to God of Moses turning towards the bush, but he's actually taking it back to the place that they're at, where the people cried out to God because of their groans. And it says that God turned towards the bush. So it's like the bush where Moses turns, this psalmist is saying that actually God turns towards the desolate. He turns towards the bush because it was at the bush 
that you want to think about the bush being on fire and not being consumed. There's an amazing thought about this. And I want to say this morning that actually I know what set the bush on fire and I know what consumed it. And it was the prayers, it was the groans of the desolate, of the isolated, of the individual, broken with no hope, doomed to die. And their prayers set the bush on fire. And you want to know something? I feel like sometimes we can get to a place where we feel a bit like the bush in the Exodus story. It's on fire, but it just won't be consumed. And there has to become a moment when you start to realize that the situation is, you're in is real. The fire, the burning that you're feeling, the burning sensation you're feeling is real. But you have to notice after a couple of months, after a couple of days, after a couple of weeks, the burning won't go away. But guess what? The bush is still burning, but it's not being consumed because God is still with you, because God is still for you, because he hasn't left you alone in the situation. And I chose the bonsai today because I felt like some of us needed to see it. Because you look at the top and it looks all so beautiful, the way you have these thin branches coming out the top here. But actually, you haven't noticed the whole top part was cut off at some point. Now the bush was going through life not knowing it was being designed to be so beautiful but there was a period where the top was cut in such a way that it would have been so drastic, it would have been so life-changing, it would have been so painful, it would have been like losing an arm and then you see the beauty that's created out of it. Sometimes the most disturbing things that you and I go through can end up causing us to be the most beautiful, wonderful people. I'm not saying that makes the suffering okay. I'm not saying that makes everything just fall away. But I'm saying what we talked about the other day, Romans 8 verse 28, all things work together for good for those who love God or called, called to his plans and purposes. And what I'm saying today is, is that in the place of pruning, in the place of being severed, in the place of burning, that God turns his head towards the desolate. Like so often people love prayer because the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But actually I don't love prayer because of that. I don't love prayer because I love prayer because when I groan and when I cry out to him, when I'm broken, he turns to me. He turns to me. He turns to you. He does not despise their prayer. And the psalmist says, let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to even be created, you and me, may praise the Lord that he looked down from his holy height from heaven looked on the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners of the captives to set free those who were doomed to die that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and I mean when we look at this as well the other cool thing they've done it's this new trendy thing where you have roots coming out all over the place because they just basically wear the dirt down so you end up seeing what was underneath what was hidden and seeing the strength, seeing the greatness that has come through to give it the beauty and the strength and the position it has had. And actually, maybe some of us need to start removing some of the topsoil in our lives because the Bible says that we overcome the devil by the power of the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice for us and our testimony. I want to tell you something, that sometimes when I feel broken and I feel like there's no hope, there's never going to be any change in my life, things are never going to turn around, I have to take away some topsoil. And I start realizing there's some dense, thick roots. I start remembering when I was a kid bullied seven days a week and he met with me, he didn't leave me. And I have to remember when gangs came and they abused and stabbed up my friends and they came for me and he kept me and he kept me safe. And then I have to remember those times when I've just seen him do the most wonderful thing. When I was suicidal, when I tried to end my life, when I was ready to jump from that train and he came and he met me. 
and he brought Jody into my life. And then I have to remember those times when we felt low and when we struggled, he gave us these two beautiful girls. Man, I have to start pulling away the topsoil. And as I start pulling away the topsoil, I start to remember like this psalmist, you know, I've been here before. This isn't new. The burning isn't new. But actually when I groan to him, when I don't even have the words to express myself to him, I can just groan and I know that his face is turning towards me. His face is turning towards me. He does not despise their prayers. So today is a prayer Sunday. Here's what we're going to do today. No one's going to share anything with one another about what's going on. No one's going to say anything to anyone. And no one's even going to pray for anyone's situation to change. But we're going to get in pairs. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray, Lord, would you turn your face upon us? You can word it any way you want. Any way you want. But you see, today is a day where we don't come like... Ditching Pharrell, man, I'm not fronting. It's like, Lord, I just, want, I just need you to turn your face towards me. I feel emancipated. I feel like my flesh clinging to my bones spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. And I just need you to turn your face towards me. And he's going to hear us. So we're going to have a time of prayer today because you see, the point is that when we come to him, he will encounter us. And the thing is, we know that the beauty is coming. The beauty is coming in your situation. The beauty is coming. It's just around the corner. It's just within reach. But it happens when we cry out to him. It happens when we cry out to him. I'm going to pray for us collectively, and then we're going to just pray with one another. And, and you see, this is a unique thing. You see, so often uh, prayer time is always consumed with the, the list of things we want to talk through, things we want to see changes in. But actually, the greatest times of prayer and the greatest change I've ever experienced has been a thing, what we call seeking God, where I've just gone, God, I want to know you. I want to be with you, Lord. Would you just turn your face towards me? Would you just encounter me? Would I just experience your tra- I just want to connect. I just want to be with you. I want to be with you. I want to be with you. And that's what we're going to be doing today. Father God, I thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. But I thank you that you show up. I thank you that you show up, that generations who are yet to be created will praise you because of the stories of what you want to do in us. Father, some of us may feel like we just lost a limb at the start to this year. Some of us may still be reeling from limbs we lost last year or burning and and sensation of, of, of... of the suffering we face, not knowing the beauty is coming out of all of it, that actually, like the bonsai, we're gonna look so amazing. Father, I thank you that actually you turn your face towards the desolate bush. I thank you, Lord God, that you hear the groans of your people. I thank you that you don't leave us in isolation, but that you come and you turn your face towards us. And Lord, we know that when you turn your face towards that bush, you transform Moses' life from being a deadbeat down and out to a man who would lead two million plus people out of slavery and into safety, building a whole new identity for them. Father, may you turn your face towards us as we take this time to just talk to you, to seek you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. really hope you enjoyed today's message and if you'd like to find out more about City Hill please visit our website cityhill.london